Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. My name is Erica, and I am your host today. And joining me in our virtual studio is James, Damien behind the scenes. And then we have a special guest today, Dr. Lee Merritt. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Lee Merritt. We really appreciate you being here. And I just want to give a little bit of background uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Dr. Merritt's work. Um, Dr. Merritt uh, graduated in 1980 from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York. She is a elected life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Uh, she completed her orthopedic surgery residency in the United States Navy and served nine years as a Navy physician and surgeon before returning to Rochester, where she was the only woman to be appointed as the Lewis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. She has a private practice, orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995, and has served as the on the board of Arizona Medical Association and is president of Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's got a long interest in uh, wellness and fitness and has been a fellowship certified by the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And I wanted to add at 63, she won a female bodybuilding <laughs> championship physical class with the help of her friends and patients of her family. So thank you. We really That's appreciate awesome. you being here. Uh, we will share your website so our listeners can check out the other videos. You've uh, sure. had videos on Dr. Mercola, and you also wrote a book about Obamacare. Right. Um, and that sounds very interesting. Uh, called the uh, surviving the medical meltdown. Now, would you did you think when you wrote that book that you would be surviving the medical meltdown <laughs> that we are living through right now? Right, and that's a, actually not a bad term for what we're living through right now. But it's uh, not what I expected. That's right. I expected it just to be a political thing, but I think this is much more. And um, so we wanted to kind of start off, you had uh, said in uh, your previous video on Mercola about this medical technocracy and um, how the pandemic made that possible. And could you just share with our viewers what you mean by that? Because we hear so many different terms being kind of bandied around these days about what's going on. And I really appreciate your description of this. So please. Well, so technocracy is actually a philosophy that became a movement in the 20s and 30s. And actually, um, interestingly, for the Canadian viewers, I mean, it's the head of the technocracy movement in the, I think, in the 30s in Canada was Elon Musk's dad or grandfather. So a little little factoid. But it became a movement. And the whole idea of technocracy is, you know, all this representative government and the way we do the world today isn't very efficient, isn't very effective. We make mistakes. It's kind of messy. Let's just engineer the solutions. So what we'll do is we'll gather data gather from the bottom up and we'll feed it all up to boards instead of election to presidents and representatives and things. We'll just have these boards of engineers. In fact, in the 1920s, it was called the revolt of the engineers. And the idea was the world has gotten so technocratic, techn- technologically sophisticated, we need technicians to actually figure things out and do the right thing. And so the idea is we'll data gather, we'll send all the data up to these engineers on these boards, and then they will just tell us what to do and everything will be so utopian and so nice. Of course, it doesn't work that way. And which, if you look at the basis of the word technocrat, and by the way, when you, you know, if you study history, when you think of technocrats, I always thought of Albert Speer. Port, you know, Ferdinand, Porsche, Karl Brandt, the, 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 the specialists in Nazi Germany that kept the Nazi regime running. Okay, that was where I first heard the term technocrat. But, um, but it means techna is from the Greek for uh, skill, and krat is from kratos, meaning it's the Greek god of raw power. So what a technocrat really does is exercise raw power over you, and the way he does it is through differential knowledge. In other words, he knows things you don't know. Um, a perfect example in everyday life is a bookie. And if, if you think about it, a bookie who knows the horse is lame can get you to bet on the horse because he's not going to tell you the horse is lame, right? He's going to know that. He might tell some of his friends, so they all benefit. And what do we see in this COVID thing? We see the big money guys have gotten richer and richer while all the rest of us have, have been hurting. So he, they told their friends, hey, this is what this is. 
this is what you do. Here's how we're going to help you. But we're going to, you know, hurt the rest of humanity in order to, to, to transfer this wealth. So that's what a technocrat is. And that's technocracy. And I, I have to cite Patrick Wood. He's an excellent researcher in this. And he started out years ago looking at the Trilateral Commission. The Trilateral Commission is actually a perfect, it's the interface in our world for this. And it's been, so this has been going on for a long time. It didn't start with COVID. It started years ago. And it, like I say, it, it took form in World War II by the Germans, but then by us. And um, so that's what this is. And, and part of it is, and I think this is an important part that at every level of government needs to be said, no matter how smart these technocrats are, it is not appropriate to have them take over our freedoms in the name of safety. And that is exactly what's being done. They've convinced the, we've, we've got a new God that we worship and that's being safe. People are willing, and it's just what Benjamin Franklin said about it, not giving up your liberty for a little bit of safety, and that's what—that's where this is going. So it's using uh, the the it, and to make people want to do that, you have to make fear. So, and if you want my big picture on what's going on here uh, this year, and I I came about this over time. I, when I first heard people say, oh, this is just a big psyop, I said, no, this is a real virus. This is a real problem. And at first, I thought it was much more deadly than it turned out to be, but that's just watching it when it got into Lombardy, it was killing doctors. I always tell people, you know, there's a time to go to your basement. If doctors are dying and we can't solve the problem, there's something really worrisome. And there are bad pathogens out there. Smallpox could kill 60% of the world in a matter of months. There's a time that only thing, and don't masks, nothing else help in those things. But this isn't that. This is not that. This is a PSYOP. And it's a psychological operation using fear. They've, they've gotten us to be afraid. Then they've added confusion, like the perfect master of confusion is Dr. Fauci. And then when you add confusion and fear, you get anxiety and people will do anything to become less anxious, including, you know, if I just wash my hands 35 times a day and I wear six layers of masks and do whatever Dr. Fauci and the technocrats tell me, I'll be safe. That's what that's, that's technocracy in a, in a nutshell. And we need to resist it to our last breath. I'm just telling you. <laughs> In retrospect, we could have seen this coming on, but nobody really figured out. It was very sneaky the way they did it, including like in my own little county, I couldn't figure out how did the, our county of 14,000, you know, Harrison County, Iowa, it, it made a, uh, it has a mask mandate. We're not dying. It's people in the nursing homes were, they didn't need to, but they, they were. Um, we're not, you know, the, I can't find many people that really went down with this outside of the nursing home. There are probably some, but the point is, why do we have a mask mandate? Because suddenly we have a board of health with 10 people on it, including a, a lawyer from the next neighboring state who's been rewarded by a new job in government. You know, this is a, and that, those were, those boards were created 10 years ago. There's lots of this behind the scenes. I don't know about Canada, but in America, I can trace this back and there are all these things got put into position for this decade or so ago and so that they could then go up the line and say things like well we need to put on masks you know you have people that have the imprimatur of authority telling us what to do it's 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 a very devastating takedown of our world i think with no mm -hmm. end in sight with the mask with no mandates i mean i'm in north carolina and i work in a fitness center and they're making people wear masks in fitness centers i mean it is the most irresponsible morally depraved thing to expect somebody to run on a treadmill with cotton over their face and that there wouldn't be negative consequences of that now, I oh. did read that Iowa, have they opened up and no longer requiring masks? Is that? We never really had, I don't think, a mandate. It was one of these, the governor was trying, I, I give the governor credit for trying to keep this down. No, she didn't want to, see, the politicians are afraid of going against the the, the the recommendations of these experts because they're not expert and they're going to, and what these experts do is, is subtly say, well, if you don't do this, you're going to have a lot of death on your hands. You're going to, the blood's on your hands. And that's a very hard thing for, I get it. That's why politicians, I get, they're afraid to say no to these experts, but they've got to, they've got to start looking at what the role of government is. But yeah, she never really made a hard mandate. And quite frankly, in rural America, I would say most places, no matter what happened, most people just kind of 
you know, thumbed their nose at it and went on about their life. I, I was very proud of my local grocery store who said, we're simply not doing this. And um, good for them. And I see less and less people now wearing masks, but it isn't over. The fact yeah. that they're willing to censor. In fact, I found you guys. I, I, I love your site, Sot. And I, and I found you because when I first started looking at the science of this, I've worn a mask for 40 years. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon, and now I do general orthopedics. I still wear a mask. But I used to wear a mask a lot because I was in surgery a lot. Nobody before 2019 ever talked, or 2020 even, ever talked about masks uh, containing small particle airborne viruses. You know, more people died of smallpox, which is a 0.2 micron virus. This, by the way, is a 0.1 to 0.12 micron. More people died of smallpox in the 20th century than on all the wars put together. If masks would have protected us, don't you think we would have seen success by that? It did not matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. And, and what I have seen is when you go back in the literature, and I looked in the back, I found no studies before 2020 that pushed this idea. In fact, they showed how it didn't work. And that's how I found you guys through um, Denny, or I, I realize I've been mispronouncing his name, uh, Dr. Rancourt. And he has awesome article, but it was censored. Why would you censor a PhD in physics just writing about the physics of masks and review the scientific literature? Okay, that has to be the real question here. I mean, he has, has a beautiful article, which you thankfully republished so I could get at it. But why censor him? Well, in the military, I was on all the years I was in the Navy, I was with Marine Aviation for the most part. And I lived on the on, off Marine air bases, off the runways. You know, I still don't I still kind of miss those engines turning up. But, they, you know, I, I, I never I never uh, would have believed we'd come to this place. But this is what the Marine aviators say is when you're catching flak, you're over the target. So there's something that they don't want us to know about. One of them is that masks don't work. Why? And you know, so ask yourself. Why is that happening? Well, to me, it's happening because it's a symbol. Masks are a symbol. And I just recently reviewed a book from a woman in New York City who points out the occult anti-Christian aspect of these masks. If you go back in history, masks are an occult symbol of submission. I will, I will shut up and I will obey. And it's a symbol of transformation in the occult. And not just the occult, it's a symbol of obedience to uh, your masters in, in many societies. I live near Omaha. I don't want to tell exactly because now that I've been speaking out against Big Pharma, I'm not sure I want them to actually know where I live. But Omaha was where the, the in America where the railroads were built out. The UP Railroad went out west from here. And we had lots of Chinese from uh, mainland China come to work the railroads in those days, in the 1800s. They came with a big braid down their back, the men, right? But those were Han Chinese. They weren't Manchu. They were Han Chinese. But they were wearing what's called the Manchu queue because the Han dynasty had been conquered by the Manchu. And the Manchu insisted as a symbol of submission to the emperor that they would wear that haircut on penalty of death in China and without. And it was so important, just like they're censoring people like Dr. Rancor today. It's so important that they are sent that they would come and send their agents to America to uh, assassinate to kill Chinese men not wearing the queue because they did not want people to get away from that submission. That tells you the power of symbols. And don't ask, we should not underestimate this. I know that you can talk all the science of masks you want to, and people won't listen. No, there's three levels of this. They're the people at the top, like Dr. Um, Fauci, whom I actually fell asleep in right in front of in a lecture of four people one time. That's my claim to fame. But he knows better. He knows about this. He Remember what he initially said? Oh, you don't know. That's just for medical people. And even medical people, it hasn't really been shown to help. It, what it does is it helps in medicine when we do it because we're keeping splat off our face. It helps in Ebola virus because it's a big virus that's not airborne. It's not that masks don't work, but they don't work for small airborne viruses. And he knows it. Or if he doesn't, he should have been fired summarily. You know, he knows the literature. He's not dumb. Why are they saying this? And then why does he change his mind all the time? And so, now ask for more. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now he's changed his mind on that too. My favorite Fauciism right, now was when he two said, masks or three masks. Oh yeah. Three and four. There's a, there's a meme out there with, you know, all these, these, these <laughs> seven or eight masks out of his face. But my favorite uh, um, was when he said, actually, it's just so you keep your hand off your face. I'm sorry, Dr. Fauci. I really don't want my government to force me to wear a mask on penalty of shutting down my business and fining me because you want to keep my hands off my face. Think about that. 
That's the mm-hmm. nonsense we the world we've gotten into. I've stood up at the, at the city council in Omaha trying to stop this because I'll tell you the other bad piece of science. It's, this is what is they don't want to listen to the data. They it's it's the the they they use science. They say they use science. They use propaganda. You can mm-hmm. it isn't about counting papers and it's you can always make up a scientific paper. You can always make up the details. You can forge them. We found them doing that. Um, so you can't just listen to what you've got to really look at this yourself and say, what is the actual information here? But, but governments don't want to hear that that are in the tank for this. If you're being bought, you're not going to listen to the science, but there is, don't let people should understand the average person should understand the devastating damage this is doing to our children. If for no other reason, here's what I tell people now, when they ask about this, I just say, look, I can go through the science. You're probably not going to, Believe me if I do, but you should ask yourself these questions. How many decades are we going to do this? Because viruses are never going away. They're always with us. This is what we've entered the age of viral, basically warfare, um, like we entered the nuclear age and we have to deal with it. Are you really going to just deal with it by sitting in your basement wearing a mask, walk, driving in a car by yourself wearing a mask for decades? And, and if you think there's no damage, I mean, I can tell you the damage from just wearing a mask personally to you. And you can start seeing these pictures of these poor teenagers, with all this acne outbreak and all this horrible rashes on their face. But what's really damaging is to the children whose psychosocial development is being harmed. And my friend who's a, a pediatric psychiatrist in L.A., he says it's too late for some of these children. They're going to be permanently damaged. We have a whole generation of children now who are living with this inchoate fear about the world around them with an unrealistic and unreal appreciation of risk benefit or scientific facts about this. And now they don't know what to be afraid of. How does a two year old understand this? And when, you know, the, the biggest metabolic cost to the human brain is when you look just like, you know, there's more metabolic use when you're skiing versus when you're walking. The biggest metabolic cost to the human brain is looking at another human face at all ages. So that is, tells you the importance we put as a human being, what it is to be human, to look at another human face. And what are we seeing? They're trying to take away our humanity by covering up the human face. And children Mm -hmm. are you know, there's a still face experiment. It's called the still face experiment. You can find it on YouTube, I think, still, maybe. Um, the Germans have published this. A German psychologist has, got, has put this out. It's, it shows what a little baby does, like an infant, a one-year-old does, when the mother covers or just stops using any emotion on her face. And the child, mm-hmm. they had to stop these experiments at about one minute because children just start screaming. They can't deal with a woman look their mother looking at them without expression. It's very just it's very anxiety provoking. So that's what we're doing to our children. And, and I'll just close on the mask by saying this. I, I looked outside my office and this is my ar- last argument to the Omaha City Council. I said, if you don't get this, then I can't help things. I really I'm the only doctor going there speaking out against masks. And um we're the only medical doctor. We have some chiropractic is much more enlightened than we are. And they have, they are what we should have been as a medical profession, but they're speaking out because they know what this is all about. And, um, but, but I said to them, look, I, I have an office out in West Omaha. I looked out my window where I have a, a daycare down the way. I used to see these happy little children holding hands, chatting, going back on their little walks back to the daycare. And now when I looked out the window, I saw these little three and four year olds with a mask on their face, you know, their head is bowed. They've got their hands behind their back. They're walking in a straight line, one by one, two and a half, three feet apart. They looked like a miniature gulag parade, like a little prisoner parade in a gulag. In fact, that's what they've become. We live in a dystopian, horrible environment and we have to stop it now. End of story. That's my mask story in detail, but I'm so upset. That's why masks don't seem like much, but they are the keystone. They're the symbol. So they're the keystone in the arch of this whole psyop, this whole takedown against our, our humanity. Hmm. That'll get us probably censored. I was going to say, I think we could end the interview right there, I think. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> um, yeah. Wow. How do I follow up with a question after that? I, I was, one thing I was thinking of um, while you were speaking was uh, there were a lot of photos uh, circulating on the internet of pictures of people during the 19. 19- 18 flu pandemic, you know, wearing uh, 
cloth face coverings and masks right. and people use that as justification. Well, you know, this is like the 1918 flu pandemic and they wore the masks back then and the masks helped back then. Um, so I, you know, we know that that's not true, but I, I wondered if you it could speak, not. speak to that a little bit in case some of our viewers were, were had some questions about that. Well, here's what we do know. There's only been one study that I'm aware of. It was done in, it was done in Vietnam in a hospital. It was published in the British medical journal in 2018. And it was looking at the role of masks, specifically cloth masks. Okay. Because there've been another, there's another study actually done by the CDC that show that masks do not help in transmission of influenza in the community. So we have to look at two situations, mask in a controlled hospital environment versus masks in a community. Okay. In an operating room, it's one thing. You're not eating sandwiches in an operating room, right? You you can you can do this for four hour, eight hour stretches even occasionally. But what we're talking about is a community problem. So nobody can keep their mask on all the time. It's that simple. So they did this study of uh, nurses and doctors, I think, but it was for certainly nurses and other people in the hospital in Vietnam, and it was published. And it's the only controlled study I know of of cloth masks and what they showed about, they looked at no masks, cloth masks, I think N95 masks and, and maybe the cheaper paper mask. I can't remember, but I, because I really, my ears picked up about the cloth mask because up until this whole thing took off, I'd never really seen cloth masks. Have you, I mean, this is, this is a new cottage industry, these, you know, cute little cloth masks. Mm -hmm. And um, what they showed was that, you're, they looked at, and so because it's a controlled environment, they could tell how many people missed days of work because of respiratory infections, how the many they got. They could culture them. They could do all sorts of things. And what they found is that compared to no masks at all, the people wearing cloth masks got respiratory infections at six times the background rate. Okay, six mm -hmm. times. Now, that was, a, like I say, and it was published in the British Medical Journal. I think that's a really good study. You don't need a million studies. You need one that you have to argue away. Let's see somebody go do that again. Fine. I'm willing to do that. But they did, a, a, the, the community study showed no difference of hand washing. This was published in, uh, I think it was uh, Emerging Infectious Diseases, and it was a CDC-based journal on influenza in the community. And they showed during influenza season, does masking washing your hands or uh, disinfecting your environment make a difference. And it made no difference. So, mm -hmm. and we've seen the, De the Denmark study tried to look at masks. It didn't make a difference. My favorite is yeah. the United States Marine Corps of which I have some fondness after been with them for many years. Um, they put these guys in an, in a barracks and they were pre-screened. This was in the new England journal of medicine. So a, a Good journal. And, in fact, mm -hmm. and it's been a while since I looked at the study, but they pre-screened them to make sure they weren't sick. They had them isolated for a couple weeks before this. Then they put them in the barracks and they they ran, they did PFTs, they did everything. And they wore masks, except when they were eating or sleeping. They washed their hands per protocol. They disinfected their environment per protocol. And guess what? It did not make a difference to acquisition of COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, that says something. Those guys were supervised, by the way, and it was supervised by like, you know, gunnery sergeants or more senior enlisted guys. So I know this was controlled. That is the definition. Trust me, Marine Corps barracks life with a supervising gunnery sergeant is the definition of control. So I don't yeah. think there's I don't think there you can't make this up. It's just they don't care about the science. It's really that. No. So I think in the 1918, the, what the issue was there, they don't you, you know, they they didn't they actually died of bacterial pneumonia okay most of them they also died of other things it turned out that William Welch went out there and looked at the people I, I looked I, I had a friend that wrote a big book about this and I studied it I happened to have the flu a few years ago I spent my two weeks in bed that I was sick uh, reading all about the flu and about the history of the flu and I found all sorts of interesting stuff like. One of the, the William Welch, who was an army pathologist, came out from the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and he did he did uh, autopsies on these young men in Kansas who were dying uh, during boot camp. That's where it all started out because they were all come they all came together, and he he determined that many of them died of this weird hemorrhagic pneumonia. In other words, they bled suddenly into their lungs. They were one day they were okay, and then suddenly they couldn't catch their breath. And when you did the pathology, they were, there was blood in there. Well, here's a contributing factor they never tell you in the news, but Bayer aspirin had lost its 
Patton just before that. And they had convinced wow. the, author- the medical authorities, the medical technocrats, to push aspirin to bring down fever whenever you had a fever, that it helped to bring down fever. Now, it actually doesn't. We should not do that for fever, but they thought it did. And so you have in these diaries that they kept over this period of time, stories of doctors with these young men in these boot camps, giving them handfuls of aspirin, by the handful. So they really overdosed these guys on aspirin, trying to bring down these temperatures of 100, 200, 304 degrees. And then they bled out because aspirin decreases your platelet stickiness. So there are things that we that so you can't so i it, they can say that it made a difference back then it didn't make they just wore them they wore them because they had yeah. this idea and and let me just tell you about science in general um dr lister you know was famous the father of aseptic surgery when dr lister first demonstrated carbolic acid as decreasing the risk of infection which it really did that was a true statement his pupils took away from the fact that he always used seven layers of gauze. That was just his habit. But the, but they took away the fact that you had to use seven layers of gauze or it wouldn't work. This is kind of the myth sometimes of how medicine science gets practiced. So in 1918, we hadn't been wearing masks that long in medicine other than the old plague doctors and stuff. It was to keep you know, they put vinegar on their nose and stuff like that. So, you know, I wouldn't believe anything about the masks back then. That's not what happened. Yeah, it sounds like a similar, they were wearing it for a similar reason that they are now, which is they everyone thought. is full of fear, hysterical, right. just looking for anything that they were looking help. for anything. Mm-hmm. But the, what really made a difference back then was isolation and, and not mm-hmm. isolation beforehand. Here's the, the le- again, we've taken the wrong lessons away from 1918. The correct lesson to take away is the people that survived were people who'd had the flu. They'd been exposed and had the flu. It was the younger people that had never in America. We hadn't had a flu epidemic in 30 years so it was, or something like that. So it was under the 30-year-olds that died. These people you wouldn't expect to. It was not just the old people. It was the under 30-year-olds who'd never had the flu and didn't have their immune system cranked up. It was the Inuit that wiped out villages, the the the. Alaskan tribal people that white and Canadian tribal people that had rare visitors, but they'd have somebody come in with the mail that would bring that virus and it would wipe out their whole village because they did not have any immune basis in China where they had actually had flu within three years of that. They never got, they didn't have that many deaths India where they hadn't had flu for 30 years. They died so rapidly and so many, they couldn't even burn them. So the answer is number one, if you want to avoid going down in a pandemic, keep your, you know, let yourself get sick once in a while. Don't don't think that you should avoid all disease. This is the idea. This is the problem with our general vaccination program. We have convinced ourselves that all disease is bad. No, childhood diseases are there for a reason to ex- you know, expand and, and, and harden up your immune system, just like you build muscle in the gym. You can't do it by sitting home worrying about not having no muscle, right? So build up your immune system ahead of time. But then if, if you see healthy people dying, you're, you know, from something you can't explain, the only thing that's going to make a difference if it's airborne is complete isolation. And in my county, I have friends that, whose grandparents remember the 1918 pandemic, and they were told, don't go to church, because in those days, we were very rural agrarian people that didn't just go into, we didn't have cars. It, you couldn't just go into town every once in a while. You had to take a horse and buggy, so you only went in on Sunday for church lots of times. And they just didn't go. And those people survived. My, my friend's grandfather's neighbor, had a, they had a farm that was next to each other. And one day the cows came over and were mooing on the fence and they wondered what was going on. And he went and they, his neighbor had gone to church and he went over to check why they hadn't fed the cows. Everybody was dead on the floor in the house. Wow. So isolation does make a difference. And one of the reasons to also reject masks right now is it's a false sense of security. It's not, it's not going to protect you if the real bad ones come around. It's not. Simple as that. Small airborne viruses it might, might protect against Ebola. I agree. But not against these. Hmm. You mentioned so that's what I know your... about 1918. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned in one of your lectures that um, seasonal respiratory illnesses decline naturally in the summer, at least in part because of uh, increased humidity in the air. Right. Do you think... Um, it has to be an environmental humidity or uh, like humidifiers in a house or in a clinic or something like that. Would that be helpful? Well, yeah, again, that's another thing they say is that they never tell us what really makes a difference. And this is really good science. I mean, there's a guy named Jeffrey Shaman or Shaman, S-H-A-M-A-N, who wrote 
he looked literally at 30 years of weather data. And he also looked at confounding variables like school closures. And he showed the number one predictor of flu outbreak or what we call flu, it's actually influenza-like illness, it's the viral season, is two weeks after the big drop first happens in the winter of of absolute humidity. He looked at everything else, temperature, blah, 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 blah. Now, temperature may make a difference in the sense that your, your bump up and death rate, your, no, your absolute number of deaths may be less in sub-Saharan Africa or in Arizona than it is in, you know, Manitoba, right? Because it's warmer, but it's not, but the, but the bump still happens at the same time when the humidity first drops. And it has to do with the fact that, the, again, one of the false narratives, the false understandings of the, of the science here is that somehow we spread viruses by me coughing on you. That's not how these things spread. And this is where I think uh, uh, Denny Rancor, his article is so wonderful because he points out when you're breathing, what happens is, and we've known this, this is the way I learned it in medical school years ago before all the politics got involved, that when, you, when you're first sick and you're symptomatic with a virus, the viruses start coming out in your breath as tiny little single and double nuclei virions, little tiny particles that float around in the air. And what, what Dr. Rancourt calls that is they become part of air fluidity. And, mm-hmm. and just in case he listens to this or he, uh, you have a chance to talk, I thought this was a historic, doesn't make this, this, this point. I went out to the big rally in D.C. on January 6th. And the day before on January 5th, I was there for the Freedom Rally. And I, mm-hmm. I had my American frontline doctor's coat on. And people would come up to me and I ended up having this little by the Capitol, I had this little kind of impromptu, they were asking me about the vaccine and different things. I had this little impromptu crowd and I was telling them this, this myth I'm just telling you. And I said that viruses are part of air fluidity. So they're around us all the time. But before I got to the term air fluidity, I said, you don't cough and make people sick. Viruses come out. And, and then I stopped. And then before I could say it, this kid next to me, 25, 30 year old kid next to me says, they're part of air fluidity. And I looked at him and I said, you must read Dennis, Dennis Rancourt's uh, article. He says, no, I listened to your lecture, but, but nice. his words are getting around. You know? So yeah, it's part of air fluidity. So think about being in a fishbowl and these little viruses yeah. are now in the cold weather. They're folding around because we don't have any humidity. What humidity does is drop those things out. They cause them to clump together, get big enough to fall out by gravity. And the other thing is, so, so what can we do? Yes, we can affect this. Why, why else do we get sick? Well, we're in a closed environment in a building. You go to work and you're recirculating air in these big high rises and in, in many buildings and in your house. You know, we, it's, the other day it was 24 below zero and my furnace fan didn't work and I was all bundled up for a thing for a couple of days. Well, that you're recirculating the air. You're not opening up the windows. You're not getting fresh air in. So um, you can put a HEPA filter on your on your uh, your circulated air that helps take out the viruses and you can humidify the environment in your house. Sure. Uh, ultraviolet lights take out viruses. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. Um, so I remember, you know, your grandparents, they didn't have these fancy humidifiers, but they always put a pot of water on the furnace grate during the winter and it makes a difference. So yeah, there, there are things we can do to, 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 to benefit this. The biggest thing you can do personally, by the way, is keep your immune system up by not having deficiencies. And there are certain things that humans are deficient in. And vitamin D is the big one. And, you you know, the farther north you go, you know, the worse it is. So, um, you know, but even in Yuma, Arizona, where I used to live, Yuma, Arizona is the sunniest city in the world or in the nation. I think maybe in the world. But anyway, it's, it, it, it's sunny all the year. And people, and it's got 18 golf courses, full-size golf courses, and a lot more. So that's a big, I have, I had a patient who played golf 18 holes a day, six days a week, whose vitamin D level was 20. Now that's in the death range for this virus. It turned out the Indonesians looked at this. And if your D is below 30, they're at risk. If you're above 30, your chance of ending up in the ICU or dead is less than 4%. So vitamin D is a huge issue. Zinc's a huge issue. Uh, quercetin, Dr. Peter McCall is pushing quercetin for this and others. Um, what's the other one? Selenium. I, I like selenium with iodine. Uh, that's what I yeah. have in, in my office. Um, and vitamin C, you know, and vitamin C um, uh, actually does work. I mean, the, the, again, the drug companies have poo-pooed all these things. 
the Institute of Medicine in our country said, oh, you, you stupid Americans don't need more than five, 400 milligrams a day of, of vitamin D. Let me tell you, as an orthopedic surgeon, I see adult rickets all the time adult rickets and it's not recognized because it doesn't look like childhood rickets but we can see it on x-ray and as a spine surgeon you see it in spines and if you know what you're looking at you can tell what this is and it's these people that have uh they're they're never supplemented with vitamin d and they have soft abnormal bone it's not just they don't have enough bone we call it osteoporosis but that's not the truth they have soft abnormal bone so for the institute of medicine to say that is completely wrong and um it's just criminal behavior against in Scotland, they actually hand out vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And so I take 10,000 units a day. Uh, nobody's overdosed on that. If you don't, if you're not on dialysis, so get at least 5,000 mm-hmm. orthodox medicine, at least talks about 5,000. So those are the that's, things I mean, you can do. Uh, there's lots of things we can do to decrease our death risk. It's interesting. You brought up Scotland. There was a um, study. I, th- I think it was done in Ireland and we published it on SOT last year. Um, but basically they looked at vitamin D, uh, levels throughout Europe and the, um, case fatality rates uh, early on in the pandemic. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because the Northern European countries actually have higher vitamin D levels because they are more likely to supplement the food right, than Southern Europe. Right. So countries like Spain and Italy, uh, southern France, where they had higher death rates uh, initially, actually have people tend to have lower vitamin D levels than they do, say, in you know Scandinavia. Or I suspected that, but I didn't know that fact. But that's I didn't know that study. But that's true because people think they're getting it from the sun. It's like around yeah. here. I mean, I've seen farmers with this because they never put, took D because they thought they were getting it by being farmers. They were outside. And um, that's a very interesting Well, but if they point. spend most of their time in a tractor, you know, in the cab of a tractor with the, with the windows up, the UVB that right. uh, stimulates vitamin D production is not getting through the glass. And, right. you know, people wear, wear their shirts and hats and um, even somebody as fair-skinned as I am, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost right. impossible to get enough sun in the modern, you know, and it, what you said also explains one of the risk factors for dying of COVID is being black and black mm-hmm. people in the Northern climate don't absorb the, they're, they're, they're designed for the equator where, where that protects them from getting too much sunburn, but it doesn't, but it also, they get a lot more, there's 30 to 40,000 units a day from the sun you're getting in if you're on the equator and that just normalizes it to a level that's good for them. But up here, it's a disadvantage. It also explains obese people. Vitamin D isn't as, as bioavailable, apparently, in obese people. And I've always said, because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, that might be – but obesity is a big risk factor for this, too. So that's it's a lot about D. If you're going to do one thing to mitigate this, that's probably it. And and the Japanese knew this years ago. I remember more than a decade ago, I think, reading a paper that the Japanese looked at in children, school children, flu vaccine versus – the vitamin D level. And it turned out your vitamin D level was more protective against the flu. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, but you know, can't patent vitamin D, I guess. So that's, that's <laughs> the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, since we're talking about vitamin D versus vaccines, I wonder if you um, could tell us a little bit about uh, the vaccines and uh, what you think about the, our mRNA technology. And um, I don't know if, if that, if we want to go down that road or not, but. Well, I can talk about it. I, I can tell you, I can tell you a little because only a little is known. I, I, you know, the difference in this people don't, well, let me just say as a physician, I'm shocked about people's willingness to take this when they Same. don't know what it is. And your doctor does, I'm going to tell you doctors that are pushing this. I defy most doctors to tell me, how does this work? What is it? What's in it? Tell me what's in it, because I have made a month-long study of trying to figure out what's in it, and I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. It's this. It's it's it's. You can kind of. I mean, you. I can read the label. I can tell you what they say is in it, but it's really. I'll tell you the funny thing is, I've I've figured out this is like if I wanted if if one of you were wanted by the police and I wanted to put out a, a wanted poster, I'd put your picture right. I would make it obvious. I wouldn't put out. Well, there's a, uh, a combination of hemoglobin and um, 
uh, calcium and uh, nucleic acids and uh, blah, 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 all the things that are in the human body. I wouldn't put out a, a laundry list like that and expect anybody to be able to find you. That's essentially what they've done on this. They put out this long, you know, complicated thing. But what they know is it's, it's, it's a three-dimensional lipid particle, this matrix M that's the, the adjuvant in this. And it's, it's not what – you can't figure it out from the way they write it. I'm just going to say that. But anyway, so what is this vaccine? People are willing to take it when they don't know what's in it. They don't know how it works. Um, they don't know the difficulty of development that it never worked in animals before. It never animal testing animal testing was never positively uh, shown to be good. In fact, animals died. Um, mm-hmm. They could never make it into a drug. They tried to make this into a drug. They could not do it because drugs have safety standards. But when you're completely indemnified, then the safety bar goes way down. And so they did make it into this. It's not a vaccine by any definition that we understand a vaccine, which is supposed to stop transmission. The Pfizer, um, Pfizer, which I'm most familiar with, the Pfizer application to the FDA uh, doesn't say that this thing stops transmission. It doesn't stop transmission. The best claim is that it uh, makes if you get COVID, it, it you know you're still you still can get COVID, but your 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 symptoms will be slightly less. Um, they, when this first was rolled out into the distribution centers, they didn't even have FDA approval. Now, what does that say? You know, they used to at least, I'm not a big FDA fan, but they at least used to make a show. The, the pharmaceutical companies used to make a show of caring. Now I think they've come out and they've just, they've acknowledged the fact that the, the FDA does what they say and they know they're not going to get a denial no matter what, because, um, they own the FDA. They, they, they provide most of the funding for the FDA. The FDA is mm-hmm. like a private firm. Um, big, big rotating door between the FDA and the, and the, of the regulators then go on or come from jobs in pharma. So they're regulating themselves. It's, it's an auto regulatory system. Well, anyway, the bottom line here is we do not have any track record of this. So even those people out there that might be tempted to take the vaccine, my plea to you is just wait a while. You know, do you want to be the first person in an experimental moon base? You know, do you want to be the first person in a rocket ship? I mean, there are people that volunteer for that. You know, Uh, that's how we got the space program, because there were some brave guys that were willing to be the first guy on that rocket. But the majority of pilots asked to do that said no, by the way. I know about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um you know, so that's the point is that there's no rush. This is a disease that overall, when you looked at the, the, the viral season last year, the worldwide survival was 99.991%. And on 2018, the viral season survival was 99.992%. What's the big difference here? Where's the pandemic? You know, yeah. I... I heard a term from the American thinker. It was called, this isn't a pandemic. This is a flu d'etat. And I like that one. Yeah. Even better than That's pandemic, I like flu d'etat. But this is what, so you don't have that much risk of dying. Even in New York State, which I found is the worst place in the world, 0.17% death per capita in New York State last year versus, that was that was from January to August in all fairness, versus Nigeria, that was 0.00004% death rate. Now, here's the one that's really, let's look at this if you want to understand what's really going on here with these, this so-called vaccine. It's really what the Pfizer requested was emergency use authorization, EUA, emergency use authorization for an unapproved experimental project product. Okay, let's, let's just call it what it is. This is not a vaccine. This is an unapproved experimental genetic therapy of some sort, which is poorly characterized by even the doctors that should be able to read this. This is complexification. They've made it so complex, you can't figure out what's going on here. They should be able to tell you in real words what this does somewhere. And we can't, I can't find it. Maybe it's out there. But um, children in Sweden, 1.9 million children, school children, went through the whole year. They didn't, unlike your children in Canada, our children in America, they didn't miss a day of school. They weren't traumatized by masks. They weren't social distance, which that's a misnomer, right? That's Newspeak right of George Orwell's 1984. There's nothing social about distancing from your fellow man. It's asocial, antisocial distancing. And they, um, and they're, and they didn't die. Not one death in Sweden, 1.9 million students and their teachers didn't get sick at any higher rate. Now they're now talking about, Oh, and, and in Oxford, England, they said, oh, school children um, are less apt to die from COVID than from lightning strike. 
Yet they are now, AstraZeneca is now starting to vaccinate children down to seven years old with a, with a product that has never been tested on children. And parents, are they really going to line their children up for this? In my opinion, we have moved over from any, any possible philosophic argument for the health of our world to a crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say this any other way. I think this, and, and I don't know, if, I can tell you that this vaccine technology is totally different. It's the, in the old days, the vaccine mm-hmm. technology was we gave you a, a weakened piece of the germ that you want to be protected against. It goes into your body. Your body's immune system sees it in a protected environment. So it's kind of like learning to box with, with big pads on, but then you might have, so when you can box you get in a, a, a real fight, you can maybe knock the guy out quick and not get hurt, right? So it's it's your immune system learns what this thing looks like. It memorizes it for your lifetime when you get the when not for your lifetime in vaccines usually, but in in the real world when a product come, when a virus comes in, you get lifetime immunity. But vaccines at least give you some immunity, so next time you see it, you can wipe it out without getting sick. That's the philosophy. What this is doing is not giving you a weakened point of the germ that we think we don't think it's weakened rna is the manufacturing blueprint to make proteins in the body and presumably they're giving you a a, a, like a created a man-made created lab created little snippet of rna we can we can retro we can reverse engineer rna from these viruses and give you something that produces the part of the coronavirus that has become the deadly part, the spike protein. Now, we don't know if it's all or part of the spike protein. That's the part it says, if you look at the Pfizer uh, authorization request, it tells you it's going to make, is this a piece of RNA that codes for the spike protein? Well, but is it the whole thing? Is it the, is it the really deadly spike protein version that was made in a lab or is it the, the wild spike protein version? Again, we don't know, but what's happening is it's being made in your cells in your body. And don't think it just sits in your arm because it's this, this RNA is coded in such a way with this lipid, um, ma- it's called the matrix. That's the name of the adjuvant. Don't you love it? You're getting shot up. <laughs> um, it's coded with this self-organizing lipid nanoparticle that will allow it to go through lipid membranes, which means it can go all over. And, and if you read the documents about this type of adjuvant, this type of uh, uh, wrap, this uh, like lipid wrap of this RNA. It's it says that with using this technology, you can make your RNA um, organ specific. So it must go all over. I'm just saying that's my that's my interpretation. If I'm wrong, I'd love to be corrected, but that's my interpretation, and that's I've heard my friends who've really looked at it have said the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think this goes all over and it makes, but it, think about it. It makes the spike protein in the cells of your body. I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing old people die starting a week after the vaccine, they get the vaccine and then they're just overwhelmed by the pathogen. They cannot, they, their immune systems are not bad, not good. So they can't fight it off. And I think that's why that's not, it's not worth the risk in those people, even though they say they're the most vulnerable. So children don't need it. They don't. So any risk in children is too much. So when you're looking at risk versus benefit, the benefit is zero. The risk is something. So it cannot, cannot be justified. The risk in old people, it turns out, is that you're getting more problems than they would be if they were, certainly if they were treated and prophylaxed. But even so, France has decided not to vaccinate over 65-year-olds because they're seeing too many problems. That's already happening. And I think the the real problem with this vaccine and this this non-vaccine, this experimental agent, If you go back in time and look how this was developed, animal studies, the animals didn't die of the direct installation of the of the of the genetic vaccine in the body. Right. What they did, they died of what's called immune enhancement or antibody dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming. They're all terms that say something happens the second time the animal's exposed to 
this virus or a similar virus. So what happened, cats are a big, have, have, do get sick with coronavirus. You and I, we would basically get a cold, if, the, if anything. Corona, standard non-manipulated coronaviruses aren't deadly at all, but they, are, they, they damage cats. So they were doing vet research, and I used to find this research until it's been censored and scrubbed off the internet now. But mm-hmm. I went back when I didn't think I was going to have to document everything. I went back and did find this. It's hard to find now, but I've still pulled some stuff up. The, what happened to cats is they, they trialed it in cats in a, in a vaccine, and it it didn't kill the cats when they gave it the vaccine. Then when they challenged the cats with the coronavirus, it the cat's body put out this stylized antibody that actually coated the virus. The virus came in like a Trojan horse, and it overwhelmed the cat with sepsis, another the infection of the virus. And then the, then they died of, of cardiac failure and, and infection. So And then they tried it later after SARS. They tried it again. Uh, on cats and um, maybe mice or rabbits. And, it, and, ferrets, it, and then after also. MERS, I think they did ferrets, but it never has succeeded in getting through animal testing because of that problem. And it's a problem, not just with the technology, but with the kind of viruses we're dealing with. Zika virus, it's a problem. Coronavirus, adenovirus, rhinovirus. It's these small type particle viruses. So it's certain families of viruses. So that's a big mm. problem, which means you could take the vaccine and be okay for a while, until the next evolution of this thing comes out. And here's the problem. If I, if I give you, you know, one of the issues with children, by the way, taking vaccines that we're worried about is the heavy metal accumulation. Well, at least we could do things. There are things you can do to get that heavy metal out of the body, right? If that's the problem, we have some solutions. But this is a genetic therapy that you're probably having for the rest of your life. Whatever it's doing to you, which is still a little unclear, how it intercalates into your own genetic makeup, I mean, they say it doesn't, but I don't know how it can last around if it doesn't. But they say it doesn't. Mm-hmm. If it does, you're done. I mean, it's over. It's, it's you have it forever. You cannot go back on that. And, and we know that retroviruses, viruses that are kind of this type of a retrovirus, when it gets into humans and every once in a while, these things will jump into humans and become part of your genome. You pass it down to your children's genome. That's why mm-hmm. we have in our, in our human genome, we have little snippets of viruses in there. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the biggest scary thing, I think, is what um, Wolfgang Wodarg and um, and you've probably I think you've published some stuff of his of um, Michael Yaden, who's the former senior science advisor for Pfizer. They have sued the EMA, the European Medical Association, I think the A is for anyway, for stopping this. And the reason that they're worried about it is the, the spike protein in, in this in this coronavirus has similar proteins to the woman's placenta and to the man's sperm. And this could be a huge crime against humanity, causing sterilization of a whole generation or two or three or whatever of us. It may Mm -hmm. forever decrease. We don't know. If it gets into your genome, think about it. You could pass this down to your kids so that when your daughter has a pregnancy, they lose it. Now, that's been seen, by the way, in nature sometimes, where the Zika virus, we saw was probably this happening, where the virus caused inflammation in the placenta because the body's reaction to the antibody, the virus, reacted to the placenta and they lost the baby. Normal baby, normal mother, inflammation in the placenta. So there's a real reason to be concerned about this. I'd say, I mean, it's just... It's just amazing. You can go on and on. But my point is, is that why are we doing it? It, Regardless of all the technology and the details, why take this risk for something that we have a treatment for? Here's the other biggest lie. And I'm glad you're interested in my article because I wrote this article on hydroxychloroquine. This is what's got me here. I was sitting home as an unemployed surgeon for because they shut down elective surgery and I don't do trauma anymore. I was sitting home for months, you know, going broke. And I was thinking, what's going on here? And I started hearing about hydroxychloroquine long before I was communicating with doctors all over the world and a friend of mine who trained in India. And and independently, a bunch of us found this literature on chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine against viruses long before Trump mentioned it. So I thought to myself when he when he mentioned it and then we thought, hey, here's a here's we have a possible treatment for this. Let's start, you know, the, the Chinese are using it. The Koreans are using it. It seems to be working. Let's use it. And protocols started coming out. The minute Trump mentioned it, though, we got all this backlash. And I thought, what's going on? Really? They're willing to let people die because orange man bad? Is that really where we are? 
But it was more than that, because what I found is a paper that said chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of influenza A in vitro, meaning we could have been treating flu for all these years. So for 40, these papers go back 40 years. My entire life in medicine has been one lie and maybe not only one. I mean, that's what blew my mind open. I said, if they've lied about this, what else have they lied about? But this is a huge lie. This is like mm-hmm. suddenly being told the world's flat if you're an astronomer. Oh, it's all, it's all a sham. We just make it up in a theater. I mean, that's the kind of thing that this feels like. Because I asked, I asked my son, who's a physician that was more recent, and I said, did they ever tell you this? You're not completely out of training. Do you ever hear that you could treat viruses with these antimicrobial agents? No. I asked my friend who's a senior professor in medicine for 40 years in a major university. He never heard of it. So this is a huge cover-up at very high levels. And what's the point? It can't be about Trump because this happened long before Trump. Mm-hmm. It could be about protecting your vaccine industry, but let's keep in mind, vaccines weren't profitable. This wasn't a big deal until the early 90s. Mm-hmm. What it does do is keep you from being threatened. If you can't threaten a population with wild man-made viruses, no bioweapons terrorism here with these viruses, if you have a treatment in your back pocket, and I think that's it. And it's not just hydroxychloroquine. It's ivermectin. It's a lot of these things. But that's been since hydroxychloroquine is the one that so many people have on their lips, that's the one that's they're really trying to take away, including burning down or whatever. You could say it's accidental, but we had that Taiwanese second biggest hydroxychloroquine plant just now accidentally burned down. But keep in mind, that's not isolated. There were two precursor plants, one in Mexico and one in Illinois that burned down almost simultaneously last year. Hmm. Really? Are we going to start believing those coincidences? I just don't believe in those coincidences. So they really, 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 really don't want you to have treatment. And they really, 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 really want you to have the vaccine. That is the bottom line here. And you can ask, then we can talk about motive and you can ask yourself why, but that is really the point. And I don't trust these guys because of what I've seen previously. And these guys being big pharma, by the way, you know, I don't think they're the ultimate enemy here. There's a, I think we're at war, by the way, I think this is a bio war part of a multi, multi, uh, you know, level atypical unrestricted warfare against against us primarily in the u.s but probably against western civilization but we are the first ones that they're attacking because they couldn't take us down with standard military techniques nobody's going to come over and take on the u.s military and we're we're far away from china or any potential rush i mean we fought our revolution with long long supply lines so we know that the british couldn't beat us partially because of long supply lines and this was our soil and that the, in, in Minnesota, just the armed, the people that are, are, are uh, hunters, if all put together, would constitute the fifth largest standing army in the world. It would be tough to come over here conventionally. You know, at some point, we're going to stand up for our land. But, and it's but interesting this- that you say that, too, because America does seem to be kind of the guinea pig of all of these kind of crazy ideas like you've been right. talking about and really radically embracing it and shaming people who don't wear masks, right. who question the vaccine. And I, I wanted to mention something about the ivermectin because I didn't really know much about it, but I've been using it for years for my dogs, for heartworm right. and uh, parasites. And I... I watched a testimony by Dr. Pierre Corey at the uh, Homeland Security Community meeting, and I was just blown away. And I tried to share it about a week ago, and they've taken it off the internet, which... So why would, again, why, if there's something that we know that helps save lives, this is a guy, you know, this guy's a big ICU doctor. Now, I can Mm -hmm. tell you in my own experience treating patients with it, it's over. If you catch it early and you give either most... Quite dramatic. And why would you not want people to do that? What could be the motive? If people want to say this is all conspiracy theory, then you explain to me what the motive is. And and I'm my still contention is this is, you know, warfare has evolved over generations. And now we're in an area where it's not just like ISIS, where we know they're a standing army by the Geneva Convention, you know, doctrine of what constitutes a standing army, but we're not not 100% sure who's funding them and what's causing it. So you can have some plausible deniability about who the enemy is that's taking you on. But here Mm -hmm. we have a situation where we don't know, we're not, we don't, not only do we not know the enemy completely, we don't even know that we're at war, most people. Most people are still just thinking this is a virus, but I think there's a lot to be said because when you look at all the facts from the masks to the, to the falsehood about hydroxychloroquine, to trying to stop the information about anything that helps, 
why would you do that? And how do you, you know, so I have a lot of very smart friends that are doctors that just don't, they, they keep scratching their heads and saying, why doesn't this make sense? Well, it mm-hmm. makes sense in one situation when it's a purposeful takedown of our society. And that's I mean, I think we got to come around to. I agree. I mean, I think and that's what's so uh, heartbreaking and just mind blowing for for people, for those of us who have been reading about things like the technocracy and, and thinking about it in this way. Uh, but it really seems like most people just are not ready to face the reality that this not only could be, but most likely is just what you're talking about, that right. you know, this is a coordinated attack. Um, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I've tried to have, I'm sure you're the same way, you know, so many people, you try to have conversations with them and ask questions and people just can't even go there. Well, and, and, if it had been 1955, they would have gone there. And my, I will just make this point that ever since, you know, we have been using TV and movies and we have been slowly accustomed to accepting certain things in our world, you know, and we have been, you know, for example, don't question the pharmaceutical companies with their vaccines. We know vaccines work. There's a, there's a narrative here. And, you know, honestly, I've come, I've completely changed my worldview has completely changed this last year. It wasn't just about the hydroxychloroquine. That was just a little crack in the door of my brain. But I used to think propaganda was something like Joseph Goebbels standing up there and telling you the big lie. But most of the world that you saw was reality. I've come to the other way around where we live in an information matrix that's been crafted to us. So we accept certain things. Nurses think about just the vaccination. First, we went from, uh, a country that didn't vaccinate except by by people wanting to get the smallpox and polio vaccine when their children were getting sick and they knew the risk of smallpox and they were happy to take that vaccine. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to put a head to their a gun to their head. They that's okay. That's the way it should be done. And then we went to slow insinuating into the country about taking vaccines because it will help against measles and we had a certain narrative there it wasn't mandatory but then and then it slowly went to mandating all these children's vaccines and it went from three in my children's lifetime to 70 now in our the children of today we're the most vaccinated country in the world in the u.s and and then now and then it started we could have to mandate nurses get vaccines to work in hospitals then it was first responders the emts and the and the police and the everybody's now got to get their flu vaccine. So you see this, the subtle and slow march we had. I have people say, well, they can't mandate me to take this vaccine. I don't want it. I said, it's too late for that, buddy. You let them, you let your children be mandated. Okay. You let the nurses be mandated. And now they're coming for you. And I told them years ago, don't think this mandates are going to start, stop with children. You guys can ignore it because it's not you, but it's going to be you. And now mm-hmm. here we are. Mm-hmm. So and so they've they've set us up for this is what I'm saying. This that the, the this this takedown is not a short term thing. And you gotta look at who benefits. You know, somebody needs to write this book. Who benefits? It's a long term takedown. Now I have to say in in all honesty, I think we're gonna win. I don't I still believe in Americans. If I don't believe necessarily yes. in the government of America, I do believe Americans have a have a history of you know taming the planes, of being independent. Um, you know, of having a, a spirit of, of not submitting to tyrants. And ultimately, people are going to wake up. They are waking up. If you looked at the millions of people at that march on January 6th, those were people that it's not just about Democrats or, or Republicans anymore. It's about our our liberty. And I heard people say over and over, you know, um, politics as usual is dead. This is about patriots and traitors. And let's take back our country. And this is part of it. We've got to take back our country. And, you know, I hope Canada does the same thing. You know, it worries me that uh, Trudeau allowed the Chinese to come in and actually do uh, war games and train on the indigenous lands during this. And during the lockdown, we were able to move troops around. Think about that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a, this isn't just a PSYOP. It isn't just, a, there's, a, there's a possible kinetic part of this warfare that may certainly be upon us. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see shooting, uh, but we've got things positioned, I think. So I think there's a, there's an underlying deal going on, but bio warfare is, is for sure. Hmm. 
Well, and really the knowledge that you're just even sharing in this show is an inoculation against that bio warfare in many ways, you know, just in fear. And I I can imagine more challenging it must be knowing what you know and not just wanting to shake people like you wait you know you got to see this is not for your benefit and well-being you know I mean had it not been for sought for the last 15 years uh, I wouldn't have any idea how to navigate through all the propaganda and information that you're just inundated with and I do think people become exhausted like I said in the beginning of the show where I'll just do what I'm told because I want to get on this flight to see my grandchildren you know that's it that's what they've gotten us to yeah Yeah. and they did it through fear keep in mind this started out by just making us afraid and I in one of my talks the one about SARS-CoV-2 and the rise of medical technocracy I show, show a picture of a sheepdog and a sheep And if you think about it, sheepdogs are trained not to bite the sheep, right? There's a tech, there's a term for it. If they start biting sheep, you got to do something about it. So, um, but the sheep just don't have the knowledge. They're too stupid. They don't realize that fact. So the dog doesn't push them into the pen. They push themselves into the pen. And that's what's happened in America. Think about where our liberty's gone in four to six months last year. We were willing to sit in our house, which okay to a certain degree like i say there are bad things when it was coming across lombardy that may have made some sense at first although i thought it was just public transportation we should stop but at any case we did that for a short period of time but then it became a longer period of time and then it became we're going to shut down businesses and then we're willing to say that a county health commissioner who's not even a physician can tell the city council to talk to shut down businesses and force mask wearing okay and that 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 word is the word from on high somehow okay that's what's happening around the world and i think at some point we have to recognize this for what it is and we've lost we are we are and again the the treatment is knowledge the 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 antidote for all this is knowledge the sheep are not smart enough to get that knowledge but people are and i do believe we're waking up i think enough people in fact i heard i don't know if you have that on march 1st it's starting to be on telegram and the various places you can actually get real news um that on march 1st it's a reclaim our world type day it's getting rid of all the covid restrictions i can't remember what they call it but it's like send this out to everybody tell everybody on march 1st to just get on with our lives I've been telling, yeah. I tell people a lot. If you want the pandemic to go away, turn off your television, you know, yeah. stop wearing a mask, um, turn up your business, go up to your business, hug your relatives, go see your elderly in the nursing homes. Don't accept this anymore. That's I agree. Answer. Yeah, that's all we can do is be the change, you know, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm, um, optimistic. (laughs) I I mean, we have to be, we have children, we have a future, you know, we can't live like this is the end, but we do need to document it. And you've done a phenomenal job of doing that. And we really appreciate you coming on here. And for our listeners that are interested, they can find you at drleemerit.com. Um, you have some great videos as we shared in the beginning. And James, was there anything else that you wanted to, uh, add as well i can't think of anything else we covered a lot of ground i'd uh, love to speak with you again sometime dr Merritt. thank you so much for coming on the show well thank you i hope we can speak when we've come out of this yes <laughs> so, so some, we can look back on this, I hope. <laughs> hopefully I hope. yeah hopefully everyone will wake up to the fact that the emperor has no clothes soon because right. i feel like we're in that you know that fairy tale and uh some of us have been looking at this naked emperor all this time and Hopefully, maybe, maybe that hopefully should be your new name soon. that the emperor has no <laughs> emperor has no <laughs> for sure yes well thank so, you so much thanks again I really thanks for all you guys do we appreciate you and we appreciate all our listeners for tuning in and um, we hope to have some links at the end of this show um, for you to find out more about Dr. Lee Merritt's work and her book and uh, all the articles that she's going to be writing in the future here <laughs> to, to uh, help inform us all. And so thank you all for listening. <laughs>